Hello, I'm Yonit Levy of Channel 12 in Tel Aviv. And I'm Jonathan Friedland of The Guardian in London. And we are Unholy, two Jews on the news from Kesha Podcast. Hi, Jonathan. And hi, Yonit. How are you doing? How is your one-person COVID recovery plan going? I'm actually working pretty uh, pretty well. I'm out of quarantine. Um, I, I'm COVID-free. Uh, it's been uh, an interesting, challenging week, but I actually... And our viewers of Channel 12 News seeing you on the air, are you they that are, much? They are, they are. So you're probably Happy back. or not, they have me back. And um, and yes, it's been, uh, I think there was a day or two of feeling a little bit like off, kind of tired, but the rest was pretty, you know, I, I think I had a, a relatively very easy case uh, which is a good thing, and I always, uh, I don't want to sound... It's a very like a- swift turnaround, actually, if you think about it. It was last week you had it, now you're back back at work. It is, compared to where we were when all sorts started, and everyone was talking about 10 days, two weeks, here you are. And uh, anyway, you are an, a walking advertisement for vaccination, because... I am, I, I those, hope I am, I hope I am. You are. For, those triple jabs meant when you got it, you got it mildly. So I think yep. that is very reassuring. There's a lesson in that for you, Mr. Friedland, there's a lesson. There is. Oh, well, yeah, let's not tempt fate again, we We've jinxed it once for you. Right, Let's not jinx right. it again. Um, we have big news for our listeners because we have a rather big uh, exclusive interview today on the podcast. And I thought we should get straight to it because it's such a big deal, which is lots of people will have read in, in papers all over the world have been covering the story about uh, an Israeli uh, tech company by the name of NSO and particularly its product, Pegasus, which I think it's fair to say is the, probably the most powerful cyber surveillance tool in the world. It can sort of crack open any smartphone anywhere without basically being detected. Uh, it's been controversial. It's been on the news. People have talked a ton about NSO, but today we're actually going to hear directly from them. Shalev Julio, CEO and co-founder of NSO Group. Thank you for talking to us this week. Shalev, quite a busy week for you. It's always a busy week, and I'm pleasure uh, to be here and glad to speaking to you. And uh, thank you for inviting me. Um, and we're glad you're here. You know, we're talking uh, inside Israel and outside Israel. Let's start with what has been uh, going on uh, inside Israel this week. A series of reports from Kolkhadis uh, newspaper saying that Israeli police used NSO's uh, Pegasus spyware to hack the phones of 26 public figures. Now, this report came out. The government is saying not 26, but actually three uh, have been uh, attempted hacks. Can you help us understand where the truth is between these two versions that are quite different? So first of all, uh, as you know, this uh, whole uh, thing is uh, uh, under ongoing investigation, which we're all waiting uh, to get uh, the results. And uh, I think every citizen in the country wants to to hear the final uh, results, and we need uh, uh, to wait until uh, we will hear what the conclusion is. Uh, I think we agree that uh, we, we need to trust the authorities that investigate it. And, uh, you know, since we do not operate those tools and we don't have access uh, to the tools ourselves, uh, we cannot address it, obviously. Um, and I also think it's too early uh, to tell. I can tell you that as a citizen, uh, I want to believe uh, that uh, those allegations will end up being not true. Uh, having said that, this is a very, very serious uh, uh, allegation. You know, Israel is a, is a democracy. Israel has all the balances uh, that it has. 
And I want, as a citizen, not uh, as the CEO of Venezuela, as a citizen, I want to believe that uh, everything that the police is doing is uh, under the right uh, warrants and under the right uh, regulation and legislation. And, uh, you know, time will tell. So once you've sell, sold them this system, you have no way of actually knowing who they were hacking, if they were indeed hacking? Is that what you're saying? First of all, I, I cannot refer to a specific or alleged uh, customers, but in general, every customer that we are selling the system to, um, like I said, we do not operate. So we are a technology company, and then we can share, we can tell, tell in a second how we started and what is the purpose of those tools. But when we're selling a system, we basically provide the system to the end user. Uh, the end user itself is responsible to use it. When we provide a system, we have a large mechanism even to determine if a customer should be or deserve to be a customer. Many end users or many governments, uh, we refused. We just told them, no, we don't want to sell you. Actually, along the years, we refused to sell to more than 90 countries. But when after the diligence process and after all the human rights process that we are doing and we choose to provide systems uh, to law enforcement or intelligence agencies, they are obligated, according to the agreement that they have, to use our systems only to prevent, to investigate crime and terror, uh, and they only allow to use it according to the law. We, we do not take part in the day-to-day -day operations. We do not expose at any moment uh, to the target list. Uh, therefore, we cannot know. Having said that, we have two kinds of mechanisms that we have in place. Uh, one is what we call the kill switch, is the ability if somebody uh, misused the system or we suspect of a misuse in a system, we have the ability to remotely shut it down. And the other thing that we have, what we call an investigation capability, that we can, uh, we need obviously the approval of the user, the approval of the law enforcement agency. Uh, the law enforcement agency has logs that keeps all the records of uh, uh, the users that the target has done. And we can, with their permission, go take out the logs and do queries about specific phone numbers if there were targets or not. Have you ever used the kill switch? Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, and I know you can't get into specifics, but can you tell us in, in broad generalities what led you to use the kill switch? Obviously, allegations that uh, we had to uh, figure out along a, a short period of time if they are true or not. Okay, there were many uh, stories uh, in the media about the things about systems that we have shut down. But you know, we do not tolerate misuse of our uh, technology. Now, an end user choose to use this technology, this powerful technology and choose to misuse the system, which means to use it on civil society, to use it on journalists, uh, to use it uh, on uh, activists, this would consider violation of the agreement. It would consider violation of the trust that we have with this customer. And those customers lost the right to use uh, our tools. And therefore, we will shut down and terminate not just the agreement with them, we will actually kill the system. This is the kill switch, and we have but used it. There have been so many documented cases of people abusing this very powerful tool and training it on journalists and dissidents and people in exile and human rights activists. 
Doesn't all of that suggest that for all the due diligence and vetting processes that you claim and describe, it's not working because so many people are abusing it? Maybe these governments are just so tempted by how powerful this tool is. And therefore, this is a kind of Frankenstein's monster you've created. You think you've got these restraints on it, but actually the documented record shows those restraints are just not working. So again, you're saying a lot of things, but let, let, let's talk about it and, and, and take it step by step. First of all, um, you, you are saying documented, documented uh, allegations or media reports. And I can tell you that along the years, there were many reports, many, many, many reports that were completely wrong and false and, uh, and not true about uh, the technology. If you read the media, there is no other technology in the world like NSO. The reality is that but there are many... Citizen Lab, Forbidden Stories, all of those organizations, Amnesty, they're talking of cases from Mexico to Hungary to other countries. We'll get to Saudi Arabia in a minute. Don't worry. Um, you're saying, how many times have you used that kill switch? We shut Several down, times? We, we, tens we, we of shut, times? We shut down seven systems in the past. It means seven users, seven completely users. Of who abused, who abused Pegasus. That we decided to stop doing business with. So they're wrong about those cases in some of the cases around are the world. In, in some of the cases, they are definitely, definitely uh, wrong. Like I said, when we're selling the system, it's very, very simple. You know, when we founded the company, um, we in day one, before we even started to write one piece of code, we decided how should we handle that. Okay, and we uh, build like a constitution, four rules of what we would do with the technology. The first rule was that we only sell to governments, okay? Not private entities, not individuals, and that is 2010. As you know, along the years, we had many requests from high net worth individuals to Facebook, on the other hand. Rule number two was that we're not going to sell just to any government. So there are governments, and we knew it from day one, that do not deserve to use such capabilities because you cannot trust them to do a responsible use in those technologies. And like I said, along the years, we sold to 40 countries and we refused to do business with more than 90 countries. Rule number three, that we do not operate those tools. We're not hackers for hire. We're not an intelligence agency. We're not spying agency. We're not commercial companies that are doing intelligence. These other companies doing. We're a technology company. We build a technology and we provide this technology to the end user. And rule number four is that we want it to be regulated which means that for every uh, meeting and for every sale that we are doing, we need to get approval uh, uh, from uh, the, the export license control mechanism of Israel. In this declaration that the customer giving in order to get this permit uh, from the government, they obligate not just to us, to the company, they only obligate, also obligates to the government that they uh, will not violate human rights, that they will use it only to prevent crime and terror, and they will not uh, uh, transfer it to any third party. I can tell you that we are the only company in the world that has such mechanisms. How many cyber companies agreed to sit down and speak with you freely and transparent uh, in a podcast? I believe I'm the only one. And the reason that we're getting all the heat is because we want to be transparent. We are the only company that that published transparency report. We are the only company that called for global regulation around it. We are the only company that's saying, you know, those power, those tools are very powerful. 
They need to be addressed. They need to be global conversation about how to use them. We are the only ones talking about responsible use. We are the only ones that have a human rights mechanism. We are the only companies that adopted the United Nations guiding principles for human rights. Now, nothing is perfect. Nothing is perfect. But, you, you know, from doing nothing, like the majority of the companies is doing, and doing the best we can, you know, I think there is a huge uh, gap. And we are, you know, in the highest end of building the best mechanisms available in the market. And the reality is that this technology saves lives. That's the reality. So we take your point about transparency, and we're glad you're talking to us now. But I just wonder if the fatal flaw, the problem with this, was that it relied on trusting and believing that a government like Saudi Arabia's or Dubai, the United Arab Emirates, when they say to you or to the Israeli government, yeah, we're only going to use this against the bad guys, the terrorists and the criminals, and we're not going to be tempted to use this against dissidents or critics or journalists or human rights monitors. This great mechanism you've got requires you to believe that. Who would sign an agreement with these human rights abusing governments and really believe that you're going to hand them this powerful tool and they're going to just say, yep, we signed a a document, we're not going to use it, we're not going to touch it? So, you know, you need to decide, okay, who you want to provide those tools to. And again, I'm not going to go into specific uh, names of countries, but eventually... Countries need tools to fight pedophiles, to prevent terror activities. Now, I truly think it's a bit a hypocrisy saying, you know, you can provide those countries F-35s and uh, missiles and uh, huge uh, technologies that kills people, but it's not okay to provide them tools that prevent terror and crime. I, I just don't get it. Eventually, I think that you should trust those countries, but they have one shot. We chose ethics over revenues many, many, many times before. But the reality is that the alternative is also something to speak about. Why you need these tools and what is the alternative? And, and, and again, we can speak about it. But when you mean what is the alternative, what happens if NSO shuts down? Then what? What do you think? I mean, you're the cyber expert, so No, but, but, <laughs> but do you know uh, one field that there is a vacuum? L- like I said, I think that maybe if NSO would, uh, would go down and will cease to exist, and, and those things would continue, maybe it will prove our point that not everything that you are saying about NSO is true. One of the biggest competition today for, for, for the real companies is actually uh, the Chinese government, the Russian government, that's providing such tools to a lot of governments, uh, sometimes for free, by the way, for political reasons, for other reasons. And, and, and you know, while you get, if a government gets uh, exactly the same tools from a different government, not from a private company, from a real government entity, this is a risk for the Western world. And this is something that people should understand. So in a way, you're saying, look, if you don't like us, the alternative is this software will exist, but it will be China and Russia who will be holding it. It's exactly what I'm saying. And I also think that I don't understand uh, why people don't like what we are doing. Because let's talk about the need. Why you need companies like NSO? Why in the first place you need technologies like that? And I think nobody asked the questions. Everybody thinks that, uh, that, that you, you know, this is like a tool that we build and we want to... To, to provide it to uh, 
uh, to anyone that we want. With the reality that people don't understand how hard it become to collect intelligence those days. And, you know, until 2007, you know, intelligence agencies and law enforcement agencies has no problem to, to collect intelligence. They would go with a warrant to the mobile carrier or to the ISP and with a warrant, they could listen to all your phone calls and SMS and get all the historical data that you have and listen to all your conversations that you are doing. And that was not an issue. And what happened in 2007? Apple launches uh, their first uh, iPhone. It came with encryption and then end-to-end encryption. And now everybody using end-to-end encryption. On the other hand, pedophiles and criminals and terrorists are using the same platform like everyone. And there is no solution in the world that can help law enforcement agencies to collect this valuable intelligence to prevent those activities. Uh, What you're saying, of course, is that NSO is in uh, your claim is that the most moral, ethical company in the market of doing this. So how do you explain to yourself really the torrent of publications against NSO coming out in Israel coming out in the United States. Why do you think that this is happening? Why do you think that this is happening now to this company? Who's targeting you? You, you know, I, I wish I knew, okay, but, but the, the reality is that, that, that we became, I said before, like the poster boy. Everything that happened is, is NSO, okay? But why, why? I think because people doesn't really understand this world. Listen, even, even in Israel, all right, people are saying that uh, there are thousands of uh, targets. The Forbidden Stories talked about 50,000 numbers. You know, those numbers are completely off charts, te- technologically-wise. Let me, let, me help you, let me help you with the theory, Shalev. Can I help you with the theory? And you tell me if I'm, if I'm aiming right. First of all, I, I've heard this from the defense echelon in Israel. They were saying that the United States is specifically targeting NSO because it wants the market of spyware to itself. Is there something to that? Again, I, I, I truly don't know. Uh, if I think that we have a uh, very good technology, yes. Uh, so, so why are they blacklisting you? That, that, so why is the you, you, you know that, that that's a great question, and, and I think it's an outrage. And I, and I think, by the way, they're also influenced by, by the media. And I think the moment they will understand the full picture, they will understand that we are the good guys and not the bad guys. I have to give you another list, another theory that's been circulating among Israeli journalists, particularly, and why all these stories are coming out now in the international media and the national media. And what Israeli journalists have been saying is that actually people or someone inside NSO is leaking all these stories to send a message saying, saying, if we're going down, everyone's going down with us. What do you think about I that? I think it's bullshit. I don't know if I can say it in the <laughs> podcast, but um, uh, we are very Zionist, you know, it's a company. Uh, we're very proud of what we're doing. And we never leaked any story to anyone. Uh, this is just, you know, everything that we are doing, all the relationship with customers, it's all based on trust and personal relationships. Think how sensitive those relationships are. Uh, if we would be the one that's going out and tell stories, we will have no business. Therefore, you know, we would never share any information. We never shared. And again, 
You can ask any journalist that you want if we ever spoke about customers or about relationship or about, uh, um, you know, activities and success story. You know, we never comment on those uh, uh, things just because the only things that matter for us eventually is the relationship with the customers. I want to pick up a question you asked before, which is why does everyone go after NSO? Why don't they see the product the way you see it, which is as this wonderful tool for fighting the bad guys of pedophiles, terrorists, international drug dealers? And I think the answer is because of its use against people who are not in that category. And I mentioned again, dissidents, journalists, etc. And the, the idea that it somehow depends who you sell it to, Eve, there are some reports even of countries that are democracies abusing this technology, Mexico, India, and now this latest report, Israel itself. If you cannot even police its use in, the, in your own country, in Israel, but also in the democratic world, is there something just wrong with this tool? It is just too powerful. The idea of breaking into people's phones and seeing everything they've done, it's never going to be confined only to the bad guys. And you said before, what's really the difference? Why would it be okay to sell F-35s, but not this tool? And I suppose the answer is that, you know, you're not going to send an F-35 after a single individual named dissident in exile, but you can with this. And so there's just something inherent in this tool. You, maybe you were, your intentions were, were as noble as you would like to us all to believe, but actually you just got it very badly wrong. This was always going to be a weapon in the hands of authoritarian governments and even democratic governments who just couldn't resist the temptation. So, so look what happened in Israel in the last few days. All right, and uh, Yonit is probably uh, watching very closely about the de developing story. Uh, you know, the media published that there were 26 uh, individuals uh, that were targeted by uh, the police with uh, spyware. We didn't mention NSO, but they said spyware, okay? They made check on those allegations, and it's figured out that from all those 26, it was only one individual that really target under a warrant of a judge. So, and this is Israel, all right? So from 26 individuals, there is only one. And what I'm saying is that a lot of those publications based on uh, publications, ba based on hearsay, sometimes about uh, even forensics that are wrong. And I'm not saying that everything that was published is wrong. Like I said, we've shut down like seven customers, but I do say that a lot of the publications are completely wrong, completely wrong. And again, even in Israel, okay, the government, the government itself, look what happened. They deny it and nobody believes them. So, so think about us as a private company we are denying. Of course, nobody will, will believe us. It's so intense. I'm saying that our technology is very, very target-centric. When we're selling a system, is very, very narrow. Okay, it's for very limited amount of targets that can be used in a very limited territory. By nature, all the allegations cannot be true. You know, that uh, in 12 years of operation, we had two, three, four percent of misuse that should not be. But think all the 98 percent of the good. Yeah, I don't think morally that works, Shalev, because I think if the two or three, four percent lead to the brutal murder of someone like Jamal Khashoggi is, you know, and the use yeah, of Pegasus again, in that but, circle, but, but, I know, you do, I know yeah, you're going to deny that, but even if, it, even if it's just one or two uh, cases, I, I just don't think that I, idea of saying, way, yeah, okay, there, so were a few, listen, there were a few bad, so we bad no, cases, but we the have, main thing we was We have good. no argument. I agree with you. Okay, I agree with everything you said. But the only thing, you know, it's, it's again, 
wrong allegation because our tools was not used in the Jamal Khashoggi horrible murder. Never, ever our tools being used in Jamal Khashoggi or his uh, family uh, members. And we've shown evidence to the authorities that it was not used. NSO tools did not participate in that ever. He was never targeted by NSO tools or technologies. Yeah, again, Forbidden Stories said that his fiance and his son were targeted by NSO. You're saying that's... Forbidden Stories, and you know, we've said it before, Forbidden Story based on a list that they never shared what this list is. They said the list came from NSO uh, servers, which again, it's not true. We don't have a server that contains all those uh, numbers. Uh, We found a huge gap, huge, huge gap between what Forbidden Stories publish to the real target of our customers and the real uh, use in our technology. And that's the reality. So a Saudi named Omar Abdulaziz living in exile in Canada, his phone was infected by malware just a few days later. Um, it emerged after the murder of Jamal Khashoggi uh, that Abdulaziz had been in touch, I think, with Khashoggi. You're denying that. The issue of Omar Abdulaziz is in Israeli court right now, okay? So I cannot really refer to that. The New York Times have published, we're on the topic of Saudi Arabia, so they published that uh, Crown Prince directly phoned uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, uh, then phoned the Prime Minister at the time, uh, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, to get a renewal of the kingdom's license, and that the defense ministry here in Israel basically halted that because of these uh, allegations um, can you in any way confirm that story? I have no idea, okay? Like, I truly don't know. Uh, I read it like new in, in the New York Times, and uh, I, I don't know how can I refer to something that I was not aware of. To what extent is your product, your company, a, a sort of an arm of Israeli diplomacy and politics? I think the former prime minister, Yonit, referred to Netanyahu, you know, would, would use... Um, the option of using NSO services as a kind of sweetener to with relations with Rwanda, with Saudi Arabia. You know, if you do right by Israel, we'll give you the keys to Pegasus and NSO software. Uh, you know, first of all, is that right? Is that your impression that your product became part of Israeli diplomacy around the world? Let's start with that. I've got a follow-up, but let's start with that. Again, I, I don't know. You know, we are a private company. We're not a branch of uh, the Israeli uh, government. But they had to give you approval before your technology could be sold. So they were involved in the vetting process. Uh, you know, like every other company in Israel that uh, that export uh, technology or, or any other kind of defense technology, uh, the government of the, the MOD needs to approve it. Yes, definitely. But it doesn't make it a government company. It's a private company, completely private. Because if, if I was Netanyahu and I was involved in this process, what I would do is I would say, while we're at it, let's just put in a little back door here so that if we've sold this to Rwanda or Mexico or whatever, when they're listening in, we can listen in. So whatever in- intelligence they're gathering, we'll gather it while we're at it. What, after all, is the point of having this amazingly successful Israeli company if Israel itself can't benefit from its success? And surely they, that just must be a matter of common sense that they would be putting in that little back door there. <laughs> So, so nobody had ever asked us to put any backdoor, and uh, obviously we never put any backdoor in, in, in our product. It goes back to what I said before, that uh, most of those relationships are, are based on trust. And, and I think that, uh, you know, the moment that somebody would even suspect that, uh, 
that uh, we have even thought of doing something like this, we will lose all the customers. So, so uh, this is why I think the theory uh, doesn't stand. When you uh, read the New York Times report um, that said that the CIA bought Pegasus for Djibouti, not exactly the model democratic country in the world, do you think that the, the U.S. government is being hypocritical, that on the one hand it's buying Pegasus, the CIA is buying Pegasus, and on the other hand, again, the, the Department of Commerce is blacklisting you? Is there a, a, some sort of element of hypocrisy there? Again, without referring into specific uh, details, I, I, you know, I, I think that people don't see the full picture. And I think that uh, people don't really understand uh, how uh, much NSO actually served the U.S. interest along the years. And I, like I said, I think this is exactly the reason why we appealed uh, on that list. And I think that the moment that... Uh, uh, the current U.S. government will hear what we have to say and then we've shared with them. I, I believe and I want to believe that uh, the decision was uh, to, take it out, out, to take us out of the list. So what word would you use to describe an American government that simultaneously blacklists your company but buys your product? What's the right word to describe that? Your name said it's hypocrisy, you know? What's your word, though? Um... You know, I don't know if it's an hypocrisy or just a, a, a bit mis-synchronization uh, inside. And I think that uh, I feel a bit sad that I'm all, we always, as a company, needs to be in a position that we need to explain ourselves. Okay? And this is a very, uh, you know, uh, not, not a very nice place to be. It's not comfortable. It's never, no, it's not comfortable. Can I just ask you one thing, just because I'm sitting here in London as a British citizen. This, again, reported that Dubai got permission to start tracking British UK phones with a plus four four country code, which was novel because until then it had been you know, in-country. But now, you know, Dubai, not a democratic regime, able to monitor UK cell phones. How do you... Defend that. We've said many times before that uh, plus one number, plus 972, and, and plus 44 numbers are uh, forbidden. So that claim, that report that Dubai got the ability to uh, monitor or track plus 44 numbers, you're saying that report was false? I'm not saying uh, it was false. I'm not saying anything specifically about any alleged uh, allegation. I'm just saying that uh, that plus four four is uh, prohibited in our uh, technology, and I'm saying that if there was a mistake in the past, okay, and, and again I'm a CEO of this company since 2019, but I'm saying that if there was a mistake in the past, you know, we took all the necessary measures and steps to make sure that they will not uh, happen again. And I want uh, so it might have happened, but it doesn't happen yes. again. How worried of you of uh, the lawsuit brought forth by? Uh tech giants in California, specifically WhatsApp by Facebook to um, trying to force you to divulge your list of customers? Again, I think it's also part of the hypocrisy. Like, you, you know, take the San Bernardino case, the very famous case uh, in, uh, in the U.S., right? So uh, there is a terrorist, is, uh, is you know, uh, killed a few people, and then he got shot. 
and the FBI wanted to go into his uh, mobile device. And they're going to Apple because it's uh, locked with a password. And Apple said, no, we will not open the phone because even dead people, even if they are terrorists, have privacy. So even dead people have privacy. Now, I agree with Apple. Apple is a company that provides products they don't necessarily need to help the law enforcement agencies, but you know they provided mechanisms that locking the phone. They are providing mechanisms that doing them to an encryption, and I think that if they would not provide tools for law enforcement agencies, third-party companies eventually would need to provide those tools to the law enforcement agency. Otherwise, they would need to provide. They would be the ones like Facebook of the world, the Apple of the world. They would need to provide backdoors and other mechanisms. Uh, to the law enforcement agency, which I think is bad. Nobody wants backdoor. Nobody wants a, a lower encrypted mechanism or encryption mechanism. I believe that eventually we are providing tools that help law enforcement. We are, do not operate those tools. The government's operating them, and government needs tools. And if there will not be any tools, and if the court will decide that uh, those uh, uh, that, that those tools are uh, illegal or something like that, and nobody can do it, you know, I think the alternative would be to have uh, backdoors. And and I think nobody wants that. Shalev, we really appreciate you talking to us. So that was our conversation with uh, Shalev Julio, co-founder and CEO of NSO Group. Let's talk a little bit about what he said, Jonathan. I, there was so much that leapt out I, completely. I think it was um, really fascinating but tell you tell me what let out at you you know you i think first, first of all he he pointed out what he thinks right he says if nso closes and basically where you're going to see in cyber warfare is russia and china and right he thinks that's a lot worse i think he's not the only one who thinks that um he com- comes as close as he can to say that he thinks the treatment of uh, nso by the us administration uh, is uh, hypocritical he thinks he says that he can't now break into or infiltrate british phones although if i'm i heard him correctly that wasn't the case uh, before, but it is the case now. Um, and when he's asked if the company itself is leaking all of these stories, he uh, responds by saying BS, uh, also giving us the number of how many times the company itself had killed the system because of uh, misuse. Did I leave anything out, Jonathan? No, I thought those were the sort of top lines. I think the um, this this the the way he kind of he let you initially say you know, hypocritical, but he didn't demur at all from that description. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he obviously does think that. And then later on, actually went back to that word. And so it was clearly he felt apposite. And yeah, I felt that was an admission that they had been uh, allowing. I mean, he obviously doesn't speak about individual clients, but he did say they had been, uh, mm-hmm. in effect, allowing access to plus four, four UK numbers, because he said from the start, it was encoded that you couldn't have US numbers plus one, or Israeli numbers plus 972. But UK ones now you can't. So they dealt with that after that was a that mm-hmm. was a hall, uh, a stable door, they closed after that horse had bolted. So that was really interesting. And yeah, I mean, the, the kill switch, I think it had been known that it'd been used, but actually to hear that, that, you know, put a number on it. And as you mm-hmm. pointed out to him, that is fewer than the number of cases where there are reported cases of human mm-hmm. rights abuses or abuse of the technology, rather. Um, so therefore, they haven't, you know, flicked the kill switch every single time. Yeah. Uh, you know, external media have said that there's been an abuse. 
You know, the interesting thing, uh, kind of looking at this whole conversation uh, with him, and yes, kudos to him for answering every question and coming on this uh, this podcast, but, you know, th- this is how I view it, and maybe we disagree a little bit. There is, it's not a story of black and white, right? There's a whole lot of gray in this story. And if initially what they were trying to do, right, is really fight terrorists and fight the bad guys, right? And I think everyone should kind of ask themselves, everyone who really opposes Pegasus should probably say, wait a minute, if we could prevent 9-11 with Pegasus, would you still oppose it that much? But at the same, with the same breath, we have to say that they unleashed a certain power that it's pretty clear that is very hard to take back once you do. And when you add to that the fact that Israel itself and Defense Echelon authorizes all of their transactions, I think it's important. And of course, right, we're not naive. We know that if Israel uh, in this neighborhood that it's sitting in would only deal with the, you know, the countries that are democracies, we wouldn't get so far because we have to do other things and we have to connect ourselves to other countries. Israel is the one who's connected NSO. And you have to ask, wait, so did they have to sell it to Saudi Arabia? Did they have to sell it to the UAE? I think it's it's important to ask these questions and to say maybe it has to be much better regulated. By the way, he talks about that as well. But again, I think we are still talking in the gray area uh, and not in the black area, unless you think otherwise. No, I know what you mean. Um, I think part of the problem arises because we're talking about sales and a company and profit. And a private people, company, right. A private company. And by the way, I think it's really interesting the name of the organization because it sounds like an agency or an intelligence agency. You know, there's NSA in America. We actually They call know themselves the, the NSO group. Right. It's, it has that kind of uh, aura around it. Actually, it's the initials are from the three first names of the founders, as I understand it. But mm-hmm. the but it sounds like an agency. And I think people would feel more comfortable with this if this was a technology that had been developed inside, uh, you know, the military uh, itself and then had been used. And, you know, you can then debate it. It's the fact that part of the motive is a profit motive. And I think that does make people feel it certainly makes me feel a bit uncomfortable with with the claim of kind of moral high ground that you know we did this solely to uh, rein in the pedophiles and the drug uh, lords and the terrorists because actually it's also about business and and he did say to us look we've made ethics of trumped dollars many many times well mm-hmm. you know okay you say that but it's still the fact you're a private company and that leads to some mm-hmm. queasiness even though i know you know, he mentioned F-35. Military hardware is made by private companies often. Um, but, it's, but you know, for some, it feels sharper as an issue because this isn't, like I said when we talked mm-hmm. to him, this isn't, you know, about fighter planes. This is about technology that is used against an unsuspecting individual walking around with their phone in their right. pocket. Right. But if the reality of the world is that you you have this tool, would you not rather it be in the hands of people who you trust for making more ethical and moral decisions then in the hands of what he's saying, right? The Russians, the Chinese, the just hackers for hire is a question. I mean, but they again, have, I, I, I know this is and, black and white. And I agree. And he, But he used the word trust a lot. And I just thought, who, uh, you know, these regimes, some of the people who've bought it, how would you trust any of them? Uh, and also, I think even, you know, what's been shown is that the uh, Israeli government that did some deals with some pretty unsavory governments and did it because, as, as you brought out, for diplomatic reasons and for to advance its own national interest. 
uh, yeah, it's it, it's easy for me to say, look, I would have nothing to do with any of it. And the fact that there are, I think you put a percentage, you know, two or three or four percent of bad cases are surely outweighed by the 96 percent of good cases. It's easy for me to go, well, if there's four percent that are bad, then just write off the whole lot. But uh, he's the one and others are the ones making those difficult choices. But look, the abuses have been quite rife. And therefore, that tells me there's a problem. So um, we're going to change the mood a little bit, Jonathan, which we do on occasion on the podcast and um, dole out some awards. What have we, who's, who's in the chutzpah category this week? So there is an evolution in the chutzpah category this week because I started out, what I wanted to bring to the table was um, <laughs> really the um, amazing, I don't think there's a different word, another word, a tweet for Ben and Jerry's uh, company this week uh, writing about the Ukraine-Russia war and saying um, to President Biden, essentially, sending thousands more U.S. troops to Europe in response to Russia's threats against Ukraine only fans the flame of war. This is the end of a very long tweet by Ben and Jerry's ice cream company about the Ukraine, <laughs> Russia, um, uh, you know, um, um, skirmish. And I, I just I, <laughs> I'm just wondering why why is an ice cream company dealing with the global effects of um of what is happening. I, I loved the reaction online to this where people were saying, you're an ice cream. You don't get to have a foreign <laughs> policy. And, you know, just thinking about, do, do, are people going to Baskin Robbins and saying, what is your position? What's the position of the Rocky Road scoop on Bosnia? What is the Minchok chip scoops position on the Western Sahara? It is, um, I know why they're done. I mean, they're getting into the habit of it because of they have their position, obviously, on where they sell in terms of the West Bank and all of that. We we, we talked about it on this podcast, but but now it seems to be becoming a habit uh, yeah, that the ice cream thinking, that thinks it's the Secretary of State. Yeah, you know. Keep uh, keep cool and uh, and carry on, guys. Just uh, make ice cream. <laughs> but that was my, as I said, evolution. That was my first option. Uh, I stayed with the foods, and I have to present to you the Chutzpah Award nominee that trumps all others this week, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, talking about Speaker Pelosi. Let's let her say what she has to say. Not only do we have the D.C. jail, which is the D.C. gulag, but now we have Nancy Pelosi's gazpacho police spying on members of Congress, spying on the legislative work that we do, spying on our staff and spying on American citizens that want to come talk to their representatives. This government has turned into something it was never meant to be, and it's time to make it end. So she literally did say gazpacho was the word <laughs> that came out of her mouth when she meant she gestapo said, she I mean, said really gazpacho is. when she met gazpacho now you think how people were probably shocked when the gestapo walked in imagine what they felt when the officer of the gazpacho walked in their house i mean that is just the woman her material is so good i mean i want to meet her writer right her writer deserves a stint on SNL. Just, because this is the same creator of Jewish Space Laser, right? This yes, is the person from the who woman said who brought Jewish you controls. Jewish Space Lasers. It's the same person. I mean, we have talked in 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 some in, you know in descending degrees of seriousness about people <laughs> abusing the parallel with the Holocaust somehow as if the unvaccinated are the Jews of the 1930s and 40s in Nazi Germany, and we talked about you know the way they wear the yellow stars. But this has taken it to some other place where she can't even get this grotesque and morally uh, in, in, inappropriate analogy right and talks about gazpacho. But, uh, I mean, it is, it is deep, deep comedy and a reminder of one of the comedy classic tropes of the 1990s, which was fans of Seinfeld will remember 
a famous episode of Seinfeld in which which turned on the soup Nazi, and this was the guy <laughs> who just doled out soup at a local restaurant, but was uh, you know was tough with his customers, and Jerry and his friends referred to him as the soup Nazi, and you know lots of Jews were uncomfortable with that. But now Marjorie Taylor Greene has introduced the idea of real-life cold soup Nazis, the gazpacho. I mean, you can't, as you say, you can't write it. You cannot I was just, I'm just wondering who should head um, the gazpacho police because I'm thinking maybe Gordon Ramsay. You know, he ran the sort of Hell's Kitchen. He could easily yeah. run the gazpacho police. I'm just saying, right? Yeah, that's a nomination. Um, should we do Mensch as well? Sure, sure. I think the this is an unlikely one. Um, I want to nominate um, a British Jewish organization. Uh, British Jewish organizations can often drive you mad, but the Board of Deputies of British Jews is the officially representative body of the small British Jewish community. It's elected directly. Uh, and its chief executive, Michael Weger, has been out there uh, tweeting in very good Hebrew and being interviewed on Israeli television, on your own network, I think you'll need, voicing that Jewish communal body's opposition to the visit to the UK of Betzalel Smotrich, who is a member of the Knesset, member of the Israeli parliament, from the ultra-far-right religious Zionism party, who has come to Britain. And Uyghur, on behalf of the board of deputies, has said, you are not welcome. And the, in Hebrew said that we reject the abominable views and the hate-provoking ideology of Betzalel Smotrich. We call on all members the British community to show him the door, get back on the plane, Betzalel, and be remembered as a disgrace forever. This is really unusually direct language from mm -hmm. a Jewish communal organisation that normally try and sort of, you know, find the middle line and speak in kind of bureaucratic language. Instead, Michael Weger going out there in Hebrew, the board's making this case. Smotrich, I mean, you could, look, I get the argument that says, oh, yeah, OK, this is pretty low-hanging fruit, you know. This is not a difficult moral stance to take. Smotrich has made vile comments about Arabs suggesting that, you know, in 1948, the, uh, should have, the founding generation of Israel should have, as he put it, finished the job and got all Arabs out of the country, suggested that gay pride march somehow was responsible for spreading the virus, uh, talking about uh, covid uh, he's a really nasty, bigoted piece of work. And really, it's the least you would expect a Jewish communal organization to say no. But you sometimes these days, you get you, you have to count your blessings where you get them. And when organizations do what the, the least you expect, and then do it with some panache, because the language was strong. And as I say, making the argument directly to Israelis in Hebrew, uh, he's my nomination for Mench of the Week. So I want to say two things about this uh, briefly. One is, uh, it's interesting that Smotrich, uh, Smotrich's response was to say that they were led by the uh, progressive minority uh, in the board, right? It's like the leftists' fault again, which is interesting because the board itself is not that kind of body, if I understand uh, correctly. You understand right. Yeah, and, and definitely yeah. going after this organization, after what they had to uh, stand against with uh, Corbyn and the labor in, in the left, I think is an interesting thing to say. They're all leftists as, a, as an excuse. Um, but another thing, look, Smoltich is a complicated uh, character. And when you, I just want to point out to you, we talked so much about Israeli politics in the past year. If there is one person in this country that is hands down responsible uh, for the fact that Benjamin Netanyahu is not prime minister of Israel, 
It is Bezalel Smotrich. Take into consideration the fact that he wasn't willing to sit with the Arab party is what stopped Netanyahu in his tracks, and he is the one figure in this country that is responsible for that. So maybe that's a little bit of irony in this whole story, but definitely, I have to tell you, it made a lot of headlines uh, here as well. Well, that already is a turn up for the books, because when does uh, the British Jewish community make headlines in Israel? Not often, and this organization even more rarely. So um, for making that news um, and and for taking that stand, I think a worthy winner for Mensch of the Week. Um, That's the question what kind of gazpacho they make, though. I think that should be, (laughs) we should look into that. We've got to be getting serving kosher gazpacho at all big kosher community functions as a little nod to Marjorie Taylor Greene and saying, stop, there's spicy tomato soup at the door. Um, I think it's time to say that if you have enjoyed this edition of uh, Unholy, please do tell your friends, write, review, rate, wherever you get your podcasts. And we will say our thank yous to Leol Friedman, Rom Atik, Omer Perimat, Irad Eshel. A big thanks to Richard Myron. We shall see each other next week, Jonathan. You can we shall, me, I look, even if you want. Uh, I look forward to it and, uh, and wish you the full recovery out of COVID. So it's a thing of the past. Cheerio, Yoni. Bye, Jonathan. <laughs>